Hello and welcome to Are We There Yet? The podcast looking at the innovations emerging from the workshops, labs and secret test tracks of Hyundai. This edition is a little bit different. We're going to be introduced to technology which is starting to change not just our vehicles, but our societies as well. And we're going to get exclusive insight on a huge project taking place in Switzerland, which is giving us a taste of a zero carbon world. That moment when we launched the vehicles in October in, in Luzerne, that was an amazing one. This podcast has taken us to some remarkable places so far, from flying cars and vehicles which make us fall in love, to the fastest electric cars on the planet. Whatever Elon Musk says, it's interesting, it's entertaining, but uh, let's face reality, the reason why he was so nervous about the fuel cell that he called fuel cell is that he knows about the superiority. All this amazing technology coming into our lives. I'm Susie Perry, and this podcast comes to you from Hyundai Motor. This edition is all about hydrogen. Hydrogen, the future, that's what everybody keeps on saying. When I was presenting a gadget show over 10 years ago, we tried to make a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. And we kind of did it, but it was a bit heavy, a bit clunky and a bit troublesome. A lot of enthusiasm, perhaps not enough knowledge at the time. Maybe 10 years on, we would have had more of a chance. We're with two people today who are leading the way in hydrogen technology. Mark Freimuller, CEO at Hyundai Hydrogen Mobility, and Diogo Shatsimarkakis, Secretary General of Hydrogen Europe. A very warm welcome to you both. Um, Mark, if I can just start with you, Hyundai have entered the hydrogen world in a, such a big way. Why has it become so important for you? Well, there are two aspects, important for me personally and, and important for the company, I guess. Um, I think it's um, doing more, not more than, than really changing and transforming the, the transportation sector right now. And what we're doing here right now in Switzerland is is unique, not only in Europe, but basically there's nothing like that in you know, in the world. So um, building up this whole ecosystem, because it's not just only about selling truck or building up this truck business. It's about really building up the whole ecosystem from electricity to hydrogen production, infrastructure, and then at the end of the day, the truck and motivating and and, and uh, getting the customers on board. Um, that's a really interesting it's interesting thing to do. I mean, we're not doing that, just don't get me wrong, it's, we're not doing that just by ourselves. It's with all our partners. Uh, it's amazing um, what's happening right now and to see how engaged everyone is along that that whole value chain and ecosystem and how much interest we're getting from, from other, not only European countries, but basically worldwide with what we're doing here and why, why does it work? What is the ultimate goal then? Well, the ultimate, I mean, the really ultimate goal is to really have um, zero emission, completely CO2-free transportation at the end of the day. And I mean, obviously, that's not only done by us. For that, every other OEM must switch to um, zero emission transport as well. Um, could be battery, could be could be fuel cell. But in regards to the heavy-duty um, commercial vehicles, I guess fuel cell is the, 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 the better choice, so to say. But yeah, the ultimate goal is really to... To do something for the environment and make make transportation emission free. And you'll go. You've got some amazing projects uh, that we're going to have a look at. But before we do, I'd like to take a look at the fundamentals of hydrogen technology for everybody listening. It's it seems like it's deceptively simple as a process. Can you tell us how it works, please? Well, hydrogen is the smallest molecule 
um, that exists. It's very, very abundantly available. It's, it's nearly everywhere. The question is how to get it, uh, <laughs> to use it as a storage of energy or as a fuel or as a chemical feedstock that is um, without carbon uh, content. And that's possible by combining, um, for instance, renewable energy production that you then would turn the energy the, uh, into the molecule. How do you do that? Normally you do it with an electrolyzer. That's a, a machine that splits basically water into oxygen and hydrogen. You need this electricity to do that. Um, of course, it costs some electricity, but you can get out of it some 60% of the electricity uh, that you put in and you can store it or use it as a fuel. Uh, in the cars that uh, Hyundai is uh, producing, and uh, I myself, I'm a, I'm a driver, I'm a proud driver of a Hyundai Nexo on an everyday basis, you have the opposite process. So the car has not an electrolyzer, but a fuel cell. That's the other way around. The fuel cell takes the hydrogen from the tank that you fuel into the car uh, in five minutes, by the way, for 660 kilometers range. So it's very attractive. Uh, and there's a marriage between the hydrogen from the tank and the oxygen from the air. And this process, bringing oxygen and hydrogen at the fuel cell together, creates three things. First, heat. Uh, so that's good in winter, the car uh, is warm. Second, electricity. And this electricity then is brought to the, to the electric motor of the car. So it's an electric drive. And third, water vapor. Uh, and once you switch off your car, uh, the car will <clears throat> make a pee uh, because it uh, brings, out, brings out the water vapor uh, in this form, water. That's it. It's very simple and it's uh, fantastically comfortable to use. So it's no change to a normal petrol car because the whole process is the same. Just the nozzle is a little bit thicker <laughs> and a little bit heavier than a normal a petrol or diesel nozzle, and you need to click it in like you do it in, in CN, uh, CNG cars. And yet the benefits couldn't be more opposite. That was the most excellent explanation, Jorgo. Uh, thank you very much for that. Let's talk about the differences between hydrogen fuel cell and battery electric, shall we? Hyundai are at the forefront of developing both of these. But these technologies have long been seen as competing with each other. How would you like to see that change? I'd like to ask that to both of you, Mark, if you want to kick off. Yeah, I mean, first of all, first of all, both technologies are going against CO2, which is generally a good thing to have, right? The question is just then, and from my perspective, and as you know, as you just said, Hyundai is doing both. I mean, we have battery electric cars and we have fuel cell electric cars. I mean, I think both technologies have have their reason for being. Um, now it depends on which sector or which which yeah, which vehicle size, so to say. I think for small passenger cars, battery electric um, absolutely makes sense. Um, but obviously, from our perspective, when it goes to heavy duty trucking or also buses, um, fuel cell technology is just yeah the the, the more usable um, technology because the combination of payload range and, and also refueling time um, just gives some advantages to fuel cell because um, battery technology is relatively heavy. So either you have the range or the payload. And then what is really mo most important if you, if, if, you, if you utilize the truck in a, in a regular operation, um, whatever the range is, how much time does it need to get back to the full range? So refueling the vehicle 
and for batteries that that's that's either a couple of hours or if you use um fast speed um recharging then it's just a couple of minutes but then it's another discussion about if if the grid can handle it and and how many vehicles can be recharged and so forth so for for fuel cell it's relatively easy like you just described the tank process is super simple and um well within 15 minutes you're good to go for another couple of hundred kilometers so obviously, from our perspective, for heavy-duty commercial vehicles, fuel cell is the way to go. Yogo, would you like to add something to that? I will just uh, complement um, what we just heard by saying 100 kilometers in a truck need a one-ton battery. 200 kilometers, two tons battery. 300, three tons. So I could continue. And there you see that um, if you compare it with hydrogen, 100 kilometers seven kilo of hydrogen 200 is 14 kilo and so on and so forth so you see weight plays a big role here because weight contributes to more energy consumption so it does not make sense to use batteries in trucks it makes sense to use batteries up to 40 kilowatt hours so mainly in urban environments also regional environments where you don't have more than 300 kilometers per day, uh, so small distances, and you have a charging station at home. So if you if you have a soft charging uh, using your home uh, charging point, that's fine. If it becomes fast charging and you need that for trucks, then you have a heavy pressure on the grid system. Uh, that is why you will not find fast charges in cities or towns because it breaks down. So we, we need to understand there are differences um, and I didn't say the worst. The worst is the circularity aspect. So we need to really use batteries where we need them because they are very hard to recycle. A fuel cell can be recycled nearly up to 100% because it's stainless steel and thin membrane of platinum. And that can be recycled nearly, it's 98% recyclable. Jorge talked there about why hydrogen is clearly fundamental to the future of mobility and why it's a crucial part of the jigsaw. Is there anything you would like to add to that, Mark? I think if we're looking, take a step back, I mean, if we're looking into the, to the, to the whole energy sector and if you want to get away from, from, um, from fossil fuels or from, from fossil electricity or fossil-based electricity, and we're really taking these uh, very seriously in regards to switching to renewable electricity i think there is no way around hydrogen because the the grid just i mean if you're really utilizing uh, massively utilizing renewable electricity the grid just cannot handle it so you need to store the electricity somehow to make it simple and transport it because referring to that discussion which we had earlier with the battery technology the electricity needs to be there when it's when it's necessary so you, like I said, you need to store the electricity and being able to transport it, and hydrogen is the perfect match for that. Yeah, from a from a from an energy perspective, there is no way around hydrogen at all. I, I would like to give a, um, um, an example. Uh, let's take Germany. Um, we have uh, in, in in Europe, we have developed a three hundred gigawatt offshore initiative until twenty fifty. So we want to ramp up uh, wind turbines up to 300 gigawatt in North Sea, Baltic Sea, uh, and, and so forth. We would need in Europe uh, a 13 times, one three times um, uh, ramp up of the power grid. 
in order to absorb this electricity 13 times. Is that thinkable of? My clear answer is no. The Germany managed uh, the last two years to build 30 kilometers of new power lines because there are so many people against it, because the licensing processes take so long. So it's unthinkable of how to get then this renewable energy that we ramp up into the system, into the car, if the power grid is not there. That is why, um, and I can clearly see that uh, a lot of new companies enter hydrogen Europe from the electricity field. It's producers of renewable electricity, but it's also distributors. So it's the guys running the grids uh, from electricity um, that are now joining Hydrogen Europe because they understood we need to complement our business model by using the pipelines. So pipelines are there. We have in Europe a very dense pipeline system to repurpose a pipeline uh, for natural gas and make it, uh, make it available for hydrogen costs 25% of a new build. It's costs, but the costs are not so high that you would say we don't do it. And at the same time, you, you can transport the same renewable energy 10 to 20 times cheaper with less cost than before. This is why hydrogen in the end, although you lose some 40% of efficiency, is system efficient, it's cost efficient. And this is why uh, we are now changing basically from the all electric narrative to a, a narrative that has two carriers or even vectors because hydrogen is not only an energy carrier it's also a vector you can store the energy in hydrogen as mark just pointed out and so it's the other leg of the energy transition so it's good you need to be able to have the electricity at the point where you need it so you need to be able to transport it that is only possible if you utilize let's say renewable electricity and, and you have endless renewable energy, the efficiency is just not a problem anymore. We're going to go on a journey to somewhere now with lots of clean air, Switzerland. The last time I went to Switzerland, I was test driving an amphibious electric car and it was uh, certainly a first for me driving on land and water. And the car was inspired uh, by the Bond film, The Spy Who Loved Me. So it was all pretty cool, I have to tell you. Perhaps it's something in the Swiss air that promotes innovation because it's now home to a fleet of hydrogen powered trucks. Mark, last autumn, the moment when the first Hyundai fuel cell heavy duty trucks rolled out onto the roads. Uh, tell me about that moment. That moment when we when we launched the vehicles in uh, in October in, in Luzerne, that was that was an amazing one because um, that was when when everything got together. Right? We had been working with the Hydrogen Association or Mobility Association here in, in Switzerland to really bring everything together in regards to hydrogen supply, in regards to building up the infrastructure, bringing in the trucks, having the customers engaged. And I mean, they had been really super engaged. I mean, they they signed up for the contracts without having been able to, to, to see the vehicle or even to drive and test the vehicles. And they were so motivated and engaged in that, that they nevertheless said, well, count me in, I'm taking one, right? Wow. And at this point, point in time basically when we had been able to show that truck for the first time to the world so to say everyone realized whoa it's not just nice powerpoint and marketing blah blah or or, or truck rolling down the hill it's tangible business here it's it's a truck which can which is on eye level with uh, you know with all the other european oems and their trucks we purposely handed over seven trucks to seven different customers to make clear that it's not a 
a, a pilot demo type of uh, project what we're doing here, but that really this is a market launch of fuel cell trucks. That's why I said at the beginning that's worldwide um, the only place where actually this number of trucks is is in regular customer operation. So being able to hand over those trucks and seeing those those customers with a smile from one year to another that was really a fascinating moment leading you know bringing all that together and and basically on the one hand the end of you know the the whole hard and preparation work uh, but on the other hand the yeah the beginning and the start of a, of a much bigger journey we're on right now because obviously we don't want to stop at uh, swiss borders we want to you know have trucks like that already um, also available in other european countries so that was a big moment yeah probably not as big as your amphibic uh, experience <laughs> with with a bond like vehicle but still good <laughs> I think it might have been more successful than my experience, though. Um, so, th- so these vehicles, then you just touched on it there. H- how do they fit into the overall plan? Is this just like a small seed of of what will grow, hopefully globally? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's that, that, that's for us at least from a, from a vehicle manufacturer the plan that in Switzerland we're showing that it's that is doable, that it can be an attractive alternative to diesel trucks. Right? That's exactly what we're doing here, and then learn from that and see how can we do that in other parts of Europe and but but, but not only Europe um, same thing in other parts of the world and can you just explain to me why it started in Switzerland what was the attraction for Switzerland why were they so pro this idea yeah well actually there are three parts which why we start in Switzerland one is like I mentioned before I think the the, the key of that is the the association the hydrogen association where you have truck operators on the one hand, but also on the other hand, operators of refueling stations. And they came with two very clear commitments. Yes, we want to have the trucks and yes, we will build up the infrastructure accordingly because that solves this chicken egg dilemma. If you build up the demand and supply side, basically um, at the same speed. So having this engaged group of companies is, I think, the, the nucleus, the initial point of getting things done. From an economical perspective, there are two more things which make a good business case in Switzerland. One is the fact that the diesel price is much higher here compared to other European countries. So coming from a fuel set technology, it's easier to make to, to meet the benchmark basically on a cost level because at the end of the day, we want to be at a price level of a diesel truck or at least in that ballpark. But what's more important is that already two years, or t- sorry, two decades ago, um, the, the government initiated a, a road tax here where emission-free vehicles are exempted from. And we're talking about a significant road tax, around about 60,000 euros per truck per year, depending on the usage. It's depending on the mileage and the weight of the vehicle. We can take this into consideration um, to, like I said, make it comparable with diesel TCO, total cost of ownership per kilometer because um, what the customer does is he has pretty good experience with you know the price of a diesel truck and the operational cost and whatsoever plus the tax he has to add and on our side he just compares that with a price he has to pay for the vehicle per kilometer because we're not selling the trucks we offer a so-called pay-per-use model that means the customer um, pays a certain fee per kilometer, and that includes the whole operation of the vehicle um, from, from tire wear to insurance and including the, the hydrogen supply. And that makes it um, then very comparable and competitive. That seems like it's a real key to the success of this project. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Jorgo, I'm sure you've got something to add to this. Well, you pay in Switzerland one franc, one Swiss franc for one kilometer of 
polluting it, plus the diesel price. The fascinating thing in Switzerland is that it's not funded at all by the state. So this whole buying, the purchasing of the trucks is done by a consortium of, of private players. Uh, and, and that's fantastic. That's where we can learn uh, as, well, Switzerland is not, not EU, <laughs> uh, but as EU, we can learn from Switzerland that sometimes it's so simple uh, with a road tax to start to kickstart basically overcoming the chicken and egg problem like was done in, in Switzerland with one franc per kilometer. That's it. That's also where we try to understand better how bigger systems using hydrogen in trucks need to be engineered. For me, using my car on an everyday brings me once per week uh, to the hydrogen fueling station, maybe less, maybe once per... So I have six kilo in my wonderful Hyundai Nexo. When you run, when you run trucks, the fueling stations need to be bigger. Uh, and there's the challenge for us also to understand, uh -huh, how do they do it now in Switzerland, this, uh, this ecosystem? How, how do they ramp up um, these uh, fueling stations? What we do in the European Clean Hydrogen Alliance is to propose very clear projects where we, now we call it decarbonize 10T corridors. 10T is the trans-European network. So going from Sicily to Sweden, to give one example, there's a motorway that is connected through all these countries, and we can concentrate on some of these motorways. And what we're doing is we try to connect the pipeline system, which is the trans-European energy network, with the trans-European transport network. Uh, in most of the cases, it goes parallel. And that will, in the longer run, um, make sure that you have enough hydrogen all along the way. Uh, so the fueling stations can get the hydrogen from the pipeline. 50 trucks were delivered to Switzerland in 2020. And there are plans for more for 1600 by 2025. That's a really big scale project, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's not a project. <laughs> it's a market <laughs> launch. <laughs> you see, that is, that is, I would, I would be with you if you say, like, it's a project, if we would talk about a demo project or whatever, but it's not actually. It's a, it's a number of trucks we bring into operation because it makes sense from a, from a usability perspective. And obviously, to do this with the infrastructure, you're working with different partners. Could you talk a little bit about who you're working with to make this happen? In, in Switzerland, it's a triangle, so to say, with, between us um, providing the truck, between um, a company called Hydrospider, that is a joint venture between Alpic, H2 Energy and Linde. They are producing the hydrogen. And then several um, companies... Um, for the infrastructure. So um, basically we're taking regular refueling stations and they convert them into with an additional pump, so to say, to hydrogen refueling stations. And within this, let's say, contractual triangle, we need to assure that there is enough hydrogen at the right time when it's needed at the right, right point and, and, and ramp up all three aspects together. So infrastructure, hydrogen supply, and the numbers of trucks coming in. Right. Because if that grows together, then it gives an opportunity for everyone to have a, an, 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 a decent business case. Mm. How do you think that the perception in Switzerland to hydrogen power has changed since this launched? It changed significantly because now we really have vehicles on the road. 27 actually driving around right now in, in, in 
within the next month or within the next four weeks, it's going to be um, close to 50 vehicles in customer operation. And um, they, they're really happy with not only the vehicle and the performance, but also being on the forefront worldwide, so to say, to do something like that. Mm. And that obviously um, leads to a much, much bigger awareness of hydrogen in general as an energy source and storage possibility and transportation possibility. But and I think that is not only in Switzerland. I think... Um, that is also seen in other parts of, of, of Europe and the world. Mark, now you've mentioned uh, Europe. Jorgo, let's let's talk a little bit about Europe. Um, things have moved on so much in recent years, the, arguably the last 12 months. The world's changed. Um, people now expect governments, don't they, and manufacturers to respond to environmental concerns and to respond to climate change. So how are plans across Europe developing for hydrogen, would you say? Is there a political thirst to make this work, Jorgo? Absolutely. We have to say that um, last year, after the pandemic uh, broke out, <clears throat> the energy demand worldwide dropped dra- dramatically, except in one case. So the renewable energy went up, not not significantly, but a little bit. All the others dropped down dramatically. And that led policymakers, especially in Brussels and the EU, but also all over the capitals of, of Europe, to think about using this to make the change. And that happened. Um, we presented uh, already before pandemic broke out, so it was somehow a prophecy, a paper called Two Times 40 Gigawatt Initiative. So we wanted with this paper to show that within 10 years, until 2030, we can ramp up in Europe the capacity of electrolyzers, so the machines that are producing hydrogen from water, splitting water, uh, to 40%, uh, sorry, 40 gigawatt, and also outside Europe, in our neighboring regions like Ukraine, but especially Northern Africa, where you have a lot of sun, in some cases also wind, uh, and can produce renewable uh, electricity very cheaply, but it's hard to transport it. So that's the place where you would produce your hydrogen that you then bring via different modes to Europe. And this idea was understood. uh, And we were, to be honest, overwhelmed by clear steps of policymakers. So 8th of July last year, we got uh, the hydrogen strategy, which is a a, a very clear-cut strategy saying uh, up to 24, we need to ramp up already 6 gigawatt, and in 2030, the 40 gigawatt. So basically, the the idea we had was enshrined into the strategy. At the same time, the same day, we launched the so-called European Clean Hydrogen Alliance as a tool to implement it. And that's what we're doing right now. We also, that's maybe a third element, need state aid rules to be, well, waived or at least to be relaxed because we will need state aid. And in the meanwhile, some some 50 billion of euro have been earmarked by member states. So by, by Germany, by France, by Spain, Portugal, Austria, the Netherlands. Uh, so countries that have put money aside to implement their own national hydrogen strategies. That's 50 billion already. You see, the Swiss example shows without state money, it works. So just imagine what will happen the next years when this leverage effect of state aid uh, will help to kickstart this economy. But at the same time, we need also to create already market level for the future. And that's what we're doing also right now. So we are quite busy. Mark, let's pick up from your go there talking about the automotive industry. It makes me think that's your area where you're from, your history. 
How do you feel about where we are now when you look at where you started in the automotive industry? It was very different back then, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I have a 22, 23-year background, um, which was more or less diesel and petrol-driven, right? Let, let me put it this way. CO2 emission was not a prominent topic in my daily work. <laughs> yeah, of course. We didn't think about it really, did we? Just the last couple of years, well, especially in the bus business where I was working in, uh, was you know, battery became a, a little bit bigger topic. I mean, bigger than it was before, not big. First time really I got into that 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 hydrogen area was when I started with Hyundai. I mean, I would love to say kind of like, well, it all started in kindergarten, but unfortunately, no, it didn't. For me, it, it was just a couple of years ago. And it's amazing how that that whole business kicks off. And the I think the timing is right. I mean, hydrogen was was proclaimed to be the future of transportation and mobility already in the 90s, right? And, and it was interesting to see, especially from Daimler, with their first initiatives in, in Europe, having the, the NECA 1 and 2. Um, and they said, yeah, in five years, that's that's state of the art, right? And then three years later, it was still in five years. And five years later, it was still in five years. So it never really took off. I think the times are not very, very different. Because from a timing perspective, I think we totally hit the sweet spot because the demand is there, the public awareness is there, the interest of the customers is there, and funding is there as well, right? Um, mm. So the, the whole mindset along this this ecosystem is just set up in a way that, that now it will take off. I'm 100% sure. I suppose when you put the proof out there and it's visceral, people can see it, that's the evidence that's unfolding in front of our eyes now. What other forces have stopped this happening, do you think? And what has been the change? Because clearly there's been a, a lot of pressure from the cheaper fuels, petrol companies, things like that. Has there been one overriding reason as to why we are now seeing hydrogen unfold in front of us? And as much as we've known the benefits in the past, we haven't done anything about it for so long. What do you think? Paris Agreement. The Paris Agreement. I mean, if we look at the history of mankind, um, there are a lot of nice philosophies, ideas and concepts. But this environmental theory had a hard time to get on, on, on top of policymakers because it was the liberal market driven theories that uh, were over yeah, overarching everywhere. And with the Paris Agreement, for the first time on a global level, because really everybody signed it with some exceptions and the US is back in. People acknowledged, policymakers acknowledged, we need to reduce CO2. And that was the starting point of funding uh, technologies that do it without CO2. And I think if, if you ask for one thing, it was the Paris Agreement, uh, which gave a clear indicator. Then you need courageous politicians because Paris Agreement is, is, is a paper. But you need courageous politicians to say, I want to implement that. And that we have in Europe. It's a Dutch guy. He's called Franz Timmermans. He's the climate commissioner. The guy is on. He regards hydrogen as the rock star of the energy carriers and vectors. And he really says that every day. And you need these kind of people. You need politicians who have a, a vision, but at the same time also... Mm, some charisma. The guy speaks in seven languages without an accent. He is it. So it's this combination, Paris Agreement, Franz Timmermans, um, that makes the change. 
we're going to go even wider now, if we can, please, gents, beyond cars. Can you describe to me what a future society might look like and where hydrogen you think may play a major role? It will play a major role in, in maritime. So that's the uh, on a global scale, uh, be it as liquid hydrogen, be it as ammonia. It can be used uh, as ammonia produced from hydrogen, as a derivative from hydrogen, both in fuel cell and in combustion. So a two-stroke ship engine can, can go with ammonia based on hydrogen. It will play a major role in aviation. In aviation, we can start already, and there has been a, a good test last month, uh, from Amsterdam to Paris in a KLM flight using synthetic uh, fuel, so synthetic kerosene uh, based on renewable hydrogen and CO2 from biogenic sources. It will play a major role in trucks. So that's what everybody says. Uh, so nothing new. My conviction is because of the superiority of and the comfort of hydrogen technology, it will also enter into light duty vehicle and in passenger cars, especially SUVs. For long distance uh, passenger cars, it will be the dominant technology there. Whatever Elon Musk says, it's interesting, it's entertaining, but uh, let's face reality, the reason why he was so nervous about the fuel cell that he called fuel cell is that he knows about the superiority. And that is uh, what I see. So basically what today's uh, petrol will be, uh, if you wish, will be battery, what today's diesel will be hydrogen. So that, that's the distinction that uh, I, I still believe uh, will be the dominant, the predominant uh, scheme uh, after 2035, 2040. Mark, any other possibilities? No, I think you'll cover it pretty much. I mean, probably I would add trains as well, because I think um, in trains it would be a good um, application as well, because you have a lot of um, diesel trains still out there, and to some degree you cannot just electrify them. So I think in this case, hydrogen could play a major role there as well. It's going to be interesting if, you will, if we will see that also in private households at one point in time or not. I could imagine that as well, like as an energy source and if you utilize your own photovoltaic if the if the fuel cell systems are getting smaller but i think that, that that's um, a little bit further down the road in this podcast we're asking are we there yet in terms of hydrogen there's clearly much further to go mark well absolutely are we there yet no are we on a good track yes i think it's a perfect timing uh, the the interest is there. The technology is there. The I think the the mindset of the public is there um, to really get this kickstarted now in a bigger scale, not only in the automotive world but also um, in other applications as we just discussed. Funding is there as well because the governments uh, came up with their own strategies now with the hydrogen strategies now and put some significant, sometimes really significant. Um, funding possibilities behind it. So I think it's a perfect timing now to bring all that together and, and build up a sustainable system, so to say, which will then at one point in time also be available to the without fundings. That's, that's, the, that's the goal and really decarbonize um, transportation and mobility. So I think we're on a good track and it's, it's a perfect timing to really get things done in regards to hydrogen and CO2-free emission in general. And Yogo, you may have the final words. I think hydrogen has become systemic and real. The Swiss example shows it. And that's the change from the, the, the start of this hype uh, beginning of uh, the century. 
we are living in, in, a, in a time where we as humans are impacting the planet to a very high extent. So scientists call it the Anthropocene. So the, the first epoch in, in, in human history or in global history where the impact is, is irreversible. And we need now to end this Anthropocene and to turn into the Cyclocene, where cyclicity uh, is the dominant factor running uh, economies, running the energy systems. That is where hydrogen plays the major role. It started right now. We are witnessing this historical change. Uh, and that's, that's great. Um, and again, my four daughters, they should have also daughters and boys, and they should have a future on a, on a safe planet and not on a planet uh, in danger. You'll go, Mark, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you both. I've learned so much. It's been really interesting. And can I just say good luck with everything that you're doing and thank you. Thank you, it was fun. Thank you. If you're excited by hydrogen and the projects Hyundai are leading, you can find out more at Hyundai.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Are We There Yet podcast from your usual podcast provider. It means, of course, that you will never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Goodbye. Goodbye.